Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Second Chronicles chapter 16. <clears throat> In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abomayam, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David, they laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. This is God's word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to sit under your word. It is an honor for me to bring the message, Father. May you be glorified and magnified. May my brothers and sisters be blessed by your word, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a sermon by Josh Moody, lead pastor of College Church. And he referenced verse 9 of our passage today. And I was thinking to myself, wow, that is such a great 
um, memory verse. Then our pastors asked me if I wanted uh, to preach, and I knew exactly which, which passage I was going to choose. Later on, I realized um, how little I knew about uh, the, books, the books of Chronicles. The truth is that when most Christians want to preach, teach, or just learn about the, the, the kingship of Israel, we tend to go to 1st and 2nd Samuel or 1st and 2nd Kings rather than to the books of Chronicles. We look at these books as, the, as if they're simply are retelling what, what Samuel and Kings are saying. However, this is not always the case. For example, Chronicles includes a large, uh, a large section on the building of the temple, which is not included in any other uh, sources. Also, our passage has a parallel in, in Kings, 1 Kings 15, 9-24, and it devotes 15 verses to, to the life of King Asa, while the book of Chronicles devotes 55, so it expands it. It, it gives, gives us more information. When interpreting a Bible passage, context is king. king. So I'd like to orient us to the books of First and Second Chronicles. Like the books of uh, Samuel and Kings, the books of Chronicles were given to us in two parts in the Christian Bible. But, it, but, they, were, but they were originally one book in the Hebrew Bible. We're not sure who wrote this book. Some scholars believe that an anonymous, anonymous chronicler is responsible for its composition. This book was written around 400 B.C., which makes it one of the latest books in the Hebrew canon. As we read this book, we ask, what is the situation that people are facing? The people have returned from exile and, are, and have built the, the second temple. The temple will, uh, a temple we, we uh, know uh, was not nearly as, as imposing as the first temple. But the people are in, desperate, in despair because they wonder if the word of God has failed them. You see... They, they, heard, they have heard promises in Jeremiah regarding a new covenant. And Ezekiel speaks of the king like David who will come and return and sit on the throne. So they wonder, where are these promises? Has God failed us? The chronicle writes in the midst of this uncertainty, trying to address their disappointment and anxiety. The people have returned, but there is no kingship. They are still under Persian rule. So they wonder, where is the king that was promised to our ancestor David? The writer's plan is to have them focus in the ideal kingdoms of David and Solomon and in the nation of Judah. It is, for, uh, it is from this line, <clears throat> from the promise of a, David, of, a David, of a Davidic king given in 2 Samuel 7, <clears throat> Excuse me. That kingship will come once again. So the writer. So the writer ignores some of the depressing and sinful stories of the past, such as David's um, adultery with Bathsheba, and instead writes a mostly positive account of Israel, Israel's history. He's not trying to deceive his readers or his hearers. 
He knows that they're aware of the earlier history. He's writing what some scholars call a theology of hope. The author helps these readers understand that God is still active, that God is still present in their lives, and that his purposes continue. God's word has not failed them. Kingship will return. A king like David will again rule on his throne. Chronicles has a four-part outline as described in our slide. It is in this third section that our passage occurs. What amounts to civil war has already taken place. The Israelites are living during the divided monarchy. Israel, with ten tribes, occupies the north, while Judah and Benjamin occupied the south. The chronicler chooses to pretty much ignore the, the northern kingdom and focuses his attention on Judah because it is from there that a king like David will come. It is there that true kingship resides. Now, these stories, these narratives were given to us for our instruction, to warn us, to encourage us, and to help us grow. King Asa's story is told in three chapters. Chapter 14 relates his early years. Chapter 15 narrates Asa's reforms after having received God's message from a prophet. In chapter 16, the passage that Eric just read informs us of his later years. But in order to better understand the author's message, we need to examine his entire story. But we'll be spending most of our time in chapter 16. You might be asking yourself, who is Asa? I know King David, I know Hezekiah, but who is this guy? Well, as we get acquainted with King Asa, we'll, we'll discover that the trials that he faced are not so different from ours. So let me tell you a little bit about his, uh, his life. We learn, in, we learn about King Asa's early years, about his ascension to the throne in chapter 14. He reigned from about 911 to 870 B.C., and we learn two important facts right away. One, God granted Judah peace the first, three, the first ten years of his reign. This was a sign of God's favor, not only on Asa, but also in the nation. And second, we also learn about the, the Chronicles' positive moral assessment of Asa's character. Verse 2 says, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. The writer will spell out the righteousness, his righteousness in two areas, religious and military. Asa did away with, uh, with sources of pagan worship. He removed foreign altars in high places and broke down Asherah poles. These were Canaanite fertility symbols that were used to worship the pagan god Baal. Militarily, Asa fortified Judah's defensive posts and raised an army of 58,000 men from Judah and Benjamin. But as, as mighty as his army was, he paled in comparison to the army that they were about to face. Sometimes after the 10-year 
peace period God had granted, Asa found himself in a precarious situation. We read in verse 9 that Zerah, the Ethiopian, came marching down with a vast army of, of a million men and 300 chariots. This was a war machine. Asa was in trouble. What would, what would he do? Would he surrender and pay tribute to Zerah? Would he stand and fight and risk destruction? No. Asa humbled himself before the Lord. He knew he couldn't defeat such a terrible foe on his own strength. Verse 11 says, Asa cried out to the, Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man pre prevail against you. Asa knew that just as the Lord had delivered his ancestors from bondage in Egypt, so he would, he would answer his cry for help. Asa was not relying on his own might, but on God's. He trusted in the faithful God of Israel, who is our help. We too can echo Asa's cry. When the odds are against us, when we don't know where to turn, where to turn to, let us be confident that the God of heaven is our help. We can join the psalmist as he cried out in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God answered King Asa's prayer and the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. Victory was accomplished by the Lord. Judah carried away much spoil. They just ripped the benefits. No long after his victory over Zerah, the word of the Lord came to Asa through, a, uh, through the prophet Azariah. In what seems to me both a word of encouragement and a, and a word of warning. We read in chapter 15, verse 2. Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are where you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Furthermore, Azariah warned Asa not to turn away from the Lord and urge him to take courage. Asa's response to Azariah's words came in the form of new reforms that went beyond what we had seen in chapter 14 at the beginning of his reign. It included not only the destruction of all pagan sites, but also nationwide, a nationwide covenant renewal ceremony in which all the people pledged their, their, uh, their continued faithfulness to the Lord. Asa's heart was so devoted to the Lord that he even removed his mother uh, from being queen mother because she had made an Asherah pole, a pagan fertility symbol. I've read, I've read uh, Asa's story several times in preparing for this message, and I'm still amazed of what, I, what the words uh, in verse 8. It says, As soon as... 
As Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. And then we get a list of his actions. He was obedient to the Lord. He was quickly, he was quick to act, and he, his heart was attentive uh, to God. Nothing prevented him from relying on his God. We've seen a portrait of a king who is committed to his God every step of the way. But things are about to change, as we will see. We've seen how in, the early, in his early years, Asa was faithful to the Lord, and the result was victory and blessing. He listened to God's words and reformed the nation. But we'll meet a different Asa in chapter 16, Asa's later years. The outline for this section is Asa's blunder, verses 1 through 6, God's rebuke, verses 7 to 9, and Asa's catastrophic response, verses 10 to 14. Asa's blunder. After 20 years of peace, Asa experienced a new, cha- a new challenge from the north. Uh, verse 2 says, Bashar, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. King Bashar was the founder of the second dynasty of the northern kingdom, Israel. Bashar's perfect purpose in fortifying Ramah was probably to prevent access to Jerusalem for religious and trade reasons. In effect, Bashar is trying to build a fortress in the Israel-Judah border. He actually crossed the border into, into um, Judah. We learn in chapter 15 that many were deserting Israel and joining Asa because the Lord was with him. Additionally, these fortifications could be used as outposts from where Bashar could, could launch an attack on Judah. So Isa saw this as a threat. Now, how would he respond? How would he, resp- would he respond in prayer, in supplication, and in faith as in the past? Would he cry out to the Lord? Surprisingly, he doesn't. Here we have Asa coming up with his own great idea. Asa decides to, take, to make two withdrawals, one from, the, from his account and one in, this, in a second from the Lord's account, that is, from the temple. Chapter 15 says that this silver and gold were part of the sacred gifts Asa had brought into the temple when he defeated Zerah. We've heard the expression, robbing Peter to pay Paul, while Asa robbed God to pay a pagan king. He takes his money and sends a bribe to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. His message was, Dear Benny, short for Ben-Hadad, My father and yours used to have a treaty. I know you have a treaty with Basha. Here's some money. Break your treaty with Basha so that he would leave me alone. Yours truly, Asa. Ben-Hadad agreed. He invades the northern kingdom of Israel and conquers some cities. Basha gets the message and stops building Ramah. For his part, Asa 
is elated. He's so happy. His bright plan worked to the T, to a T. Little did he know that the Lord had something in store for him. Needless to say, the Lord wasn't amused with Asa. Just as he, as he had sent Nathan to rebuke King David after his adultery with Bathsheba, so he sends Hanani, the seer, to confront Asa after he exercised self-reliance. A seer is, a, is an ancient designation for a prophet in Israel. Samuel, for example, called his, himself a seer in 1 Samuel 9.19. This is the message from God. Asa, this is what Hanani tells, uh, tells uh, Asa. Asa, you have done a foolish thing. You have done wrong. You've sinned against the Lord. You relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God. Do you remember the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Zerah was the leader. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. It wasn't because of your impressive tactical maneuvers or because of your great army. It was because you relied on the Lord. Two things will happen now. The army of Syria, the, the army of the king of Syria will escape you. And from now on, you will have wars. As we continue the narrative in Chronicles, we see that um, Jeho Jehoshaphat, um, Asa's son, actually has to fight the Assyrians. I'm sorry, the, the Syrians. And sometimes God works in mysterious ways in that we don't know exactly what he is doing. We don't like what he's doing, but he has some awesome purposes uh, behind stores. Self-reliance, reliance and reliance on others are not necessarily bad things. But when we trust in ourselves or in others at the expense of trusting on the Lord, then we sin. Then we make decisions that might have significant consequences for us, for others, and for our relationship with God. Verse 9 provides another reason why Asa and also all of us should rely on, on God instead of someone else. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. This is an amazing verse, and this is the one that I was referring to in, uh, in my introduction. It is definitely a verse we should memorize. What does it mean, though? Let me try to explain it. The Bible uses a group of images that figuratively... Um, assign God human body parts. For example, God is often described as one who sees. In the creation account, God is described frequently as looking at his creation. By extension, God sees all that takes place on earth. God is, God is omniscient, that is, he knows all things, for he is omnipresent, namely his presence is everywhere. God's seeing leads to protection and provision.
provision, uh, of those whom he loves. Psalm 33:13 says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. A commentator puts it this way. This imagery provides a sense of the universality of Yahweh's vision, equivalent to his omniscience, and involvement, reflecting his sovereign control. The God who sees all things throughout the earth also gives strong support. He strengthens those whose heart is blamed towards him. The adjective blameless seems to indicate sinlessness. But the ESV notes an alternate translation, whole, W-H-O-L-E. It refers to an attitude of devotion to the Lord, and can be, it can be translated as wholehearted or committed. Asa was this person in chapters 15, 14 and 15, but he failed in chapter 16. We too, by God's grace and by his, and by his spirit, can grow into the type of person God is looking for. The big idea of our text flows directly from verse 9. Here it is. God demands wholehearted reliance on him. God demands wholehearted reliance on him. That he requires, that he deserves, utter dependence on him. But Asa does not respond this way. Instead, we learn that We learn about Asa's catastrophic response. Do you remember uh, how King David responded to Nathan when the prophet confronted him? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He repented. But Asa responds in anger to the word of the Lord and to his prophet. He throws Hanani in prison in prison, and takes his frustration out on the people he ruled. That's verse 10. Sadly, at the end of, of his life, Asa relied on himself and on others, but did not rely on the Lord. He went from feeling anger to rage to resentment towards the Lord. In verses 11 through 14, we learn that he developed a serious foot disease, a severe foot disease, But that even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but uh, but sought the uh, help of physicians. Keep in mind that physicians at his time were not the same as physicians today. Israel's healer was the Lord, and Asa refused to seek him. Two years later, he died and was buried in an impressive state funeral. By the way, verse 14 does not indicate cremation. I can't help but contrast King Asa's response to the difficulties in this chapter to how King Jesus responded to the cross. While Asa responded with reliance on other authorities, himself and Ben-Hadad, Jesus, when he was about to be betrayed by Judas and handed over to the Jews, responded with wholehearted reliance on his father. We read in Matthew 26, uh, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, 
And he said to his disciples, Sit here where I go over there to pray. In verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell to, he fell to his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass, pass me, pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus prayed this prayer two more times, seeking his Father's will. Jesus responded to his upcoming trials with prayer and wholehearted reliance. He trusted his Father in order that we also, through his death and resurrection, might become sons and daughters of God. His obedience, his reliance in God, makes it possible for all to receive salvation through his blood. We have seen two types of responses to God's word in our study this morning. We've seen Asa, in his early years, relied on the Lord and relied on his counsel before he acted. This resulted in success and a strong relationship with the Lord. We also saw how in, the, in his later days, Asa did not rely on the Lord, on the Lord's word. As a matter of fact, he rejected it and resented God until his tragic death. The result was disobedient, pain, and a fractured relationship with the Lord. We don't have prophets walking into Westgate giving us prophecy about our, about our actions but we have the reading and faithful preaching of God's word. We can respond to scripture with humble, uh, in a humble way, humble and in an appropriate way, or we can reject it. God has given us an amazing gift on his word. It is his revelation to his people. In professional sports, a free agent is a player who is eligible to sign with others with other clubs or franchises. There's no, they're not under contract with any specific team. All players, whether in baseball, basketball, football, or any other sport, look forward to the time when they will finally be able to make their own decision as to who they will play for and how much money they will command. They get to decide themselves. They don't have to depend on anyone or rely on anyone if they so choose to. Christians are never to think this way. We are never to look forward to the day when we will become free agents, when we will stop relying on the Lord to make decisions, to live our lives. We're not our own. We, are bought, we were bought at a price. One verse Christians, Christian parents love to teach their children is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What struck me as I was studying um, this, uh, this, these passages, this passage, is that the same word that the chronicler uses throughout Asa's story, rely, rely, is the same word that we translate 
lean in verse 5. So let us say, trust in the Lord with all our heart, and let us not rely on our own understanding. Let us in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will make our path, our, our path straight. This is not a proverb just for children. This is a word of God for all his children. May we take this word to heart this morning as we rely on him daily. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for, for speaking to your children this morning. Help us become those people who rely on your word, rely on you and you only, Lord Jesus, at all times, you know, under own circumstances. There are so many distractions calling for our attention. Give us the strength and courage to reject that which does not honor you, that does not honor your name. Instill this word in our hearts that we may grow in, your, in, your, in our walk with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.